I mentioned that Psalm number four is one of my favorite Psalms. And if you don't know this, if you pair it with Psalm number five, you actually have a good morning and a good night Psalm that go together. And and some people have called it a couplet for a reason in the order that we have them here. Uh, These Psalms are great to start and in your days with because they set a framework for thinking about what God is doing. And the order is actually even interesting because uh, some believe that our day actually starts with sleep. And, and we were in Israel and we kind of got to see that. If you're in Israel, the Sabbath actually starts on Friday night at sundown and it ends the next night, Saturday night at sundown. And, and we kind of think about that differently in the United States, don't we? Because Most of the time we think about our day starting when we wake up to the alarm clock and we grab a cup of coffee and maybe you grab your Bible or you turn on the news and and you start your day. But in the biblical framework, the day kind of starts with rest. That's a great way for us to think about that because if you reverse that, it actually shows you the importance of sleep. And and I need to, to kind of get you to think about that for a second because if your day begins with sleep, it means that God is preparing you and rejuvenating you for what he's about to do. And I know we all talk about how important sleep is and we never do it. I mean, we, we stay up too late, uh, we, we watch too much TV, and where some of us are still trying to keep college hours in here and run on three or four hours of sleep, and we wonder why we're miserable. You're miserable because you're not sleeping. Go to sleep. You're gonna feel better. And when you do, read Psalm number four. And then when you wake up, read Psalm number five. If you've never done that, I wanna encourage you, just for this week, Start your day by reading Psalm number four when you go to sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, read and pray through Psalm number five. And I think it's gonna really bless your life. So let's read Psalm number four together. I'll read it for us, starting in verse one. Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Selah. Offer sacrifices in righteousness. Trust the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. There's not a lot of explanation actually given at the title of this psalm. It just says, a night prayer. And there are different categories that the psalms kind of fall into. And this one actually seems to bridge two different categories. The first category that it bridges is, is kind of one of lament. And the second one is of confidence. And, and you kind of see that. British theologian P.C. Craig described it this way, and I quote, and I think this is important. It's not a psalm of penance arising out of recognition of sins committed. There are other Psalms for that purpose. It's rather a Psalm which reflects the anguish of the innocent and the oppressed of the righteous sufferer. And thus it's a particularly important kind of Psalm for it addresses a fundamental human experience, the experience of injustice 
and oppression. When we begin reading this psalm, we see that people are attacking David's character. How have they done it? Well, we don't really know except they have slandered him. And when that happens, and it happens to all of us for sure, the response that we have is very important. And in this case, I want you to see what David does because David shows us the power of prayer and the importance of prayer and how it changes things when we're under duress or we're distressed or we're feeling anxious and how we deal with these things when people speak unkindly about us and actually try to harm us. And I don't want you to miss the progression that takes place in David's life because he starts in trouble and then moves to confidence. Did you notice that? He started worried and he moved to confidence. And I believe in our lives this morning that one of the greatest threats to the joy that is in our lives when we're worried and occupied is when we have an occupied mind that takes us away from the gift of joy that God has given us. Now, you know that someone once said, joy is uh, an acrostic for us, Jesus, others, yourself. And when you operate in that order, it's really good because our minds are supposed to be held in this order of things. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And, and that actually puts you in last place on the priority list. Is that hard for you? Jesus first, others second, yourself in last place. And most of the time when you can't find the joy that God's given us, it's because we reverse the list and it's not joy anymore, it's yoge. You first, others second, Jesus somewhere in the distant third. And when that happens and you're yoging it, I just made that up, you know, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but you begin to occupy first place thinking about your priorities, your worries, the things that are bothering you, then you begin to think about other people, what they've said about you, what they're doing to you, and then somewhere out there is Jesus. You tack him on when all else fails. Oh, this is a really difficult season of my life. I'm gonna ponder this, I'm gonna think about it, I'm gonna worry about it, I'm gonna talk to everybody about it, I'm gonna worry about what people have said to me, and then if that fails and I can't figure it out, I'll throw up a prayer to Jesus. And we wonder why we don't have joy. The importance of this cannot be overstated. I want you to see the three parts of this psalm so you'll know how to access the gift of joy that God has given us. The very first thing that David did when he, when he came to this troubled spot in his life was to pray. Do you do that? Is that your first response? Oh man, this is difficult. I got some bad news today. Who do I need to call first? Who am, I, who am I gonna talk to first? Well, the first response for us as a believer should be to stop and pray. Notice what David did in verse one. Answer me when I call. Oh God of my righteousness, you've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious, hear my prayer. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. His prayer begins with a petition. And it's a petition that asks God to hear him. Now that sounds funny because we know that God hears us when we call, but David's imploring God in this instance, saying like, I'm praying to you and I really need you to hear me. I need to know with some assurance that you're going to hear me. He's not just taking it for granted that as he prays, God's going to hear him. He's saying, Lord, I'm praying to you and I need you to hear me. I'm asking you to hear my petition. I'm begging you to hear this. And as he does it, he does something that's awesome. He reminds himself of how God has heard him in the past. 
he, he thinks back and he begins to remember it. Now, if you read the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms, one of the things that you see often is they'll talk about, yes, we were enslaved in Egypt and God brought us out through the Red Sea and God set us up and God gave us the land and God did all these things. And the psalmists are not trying to be historians for you. They're trying to cause your mind to think of the memories of what God has been doing and how he's already answered prayer. Now, now when we, we, we ask you to do this, when we taught you to, to pray by using the active acrostic, do you remember that? A, adoration. That's praising God. Start with there. Lord, thank you for today. I love you because of your name, your power, your work, your word. God, you're incredible. There's no God like you. Then you move the confession. That's you getting right with the Lord again. Petitioning the Lord for forgiveness of sin and receiving the forgiveness of sin, right? And then that third thing, thanksgiving. Just thanking the Lord for all that he's done. Can I ask you a question? How much time this week in your prayer life did you spend remembering the great things God has done? Can I tell you, it's just a, a suspicion, and it may not be right, so if this doesn't apply to you, you just... do you know what most of you do? Lord, I got a list this morning. I need you to do this, 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 and this. Thanks. Moving on. And you miss something. There's power in the thanksgiving. Because when we thank God for what he's done, it encourages us to pray in faith. And remember, Jesus said, if we don't ask for it in faith, you ask for it unbelieving, you're not gonna get it. When we ask in faith, how do we build our faith? Well, we look back at what God has done. We have this long history of what God has done. We have the word of God that reminds us of what he's done, but we need to be reminded of what he did yesterday and what he did last week and what he did last year. And David begins to do that by saying, you gave me relief when I was in distress, so now I can call on you and I'm asking you be gracious again. Hear my prayer again because you have been so good to me. I think that's so important for us that we spend time being thankful to the Lord. This is one of the main reasons that we decided this year to stop and take a Sunday every quarter and just focus on the joy of the Lord because it causes us as we grow deeper in joy to be thankful for all the things God has been doing. You, you can't be joyful if you're not thankful. You can't be joyful about what God's been doing if, if you're not thankful, if you're not tuned into what he's been doing. We want you to be reminded of it. That's why we show you these videos. We want you to think about the day-to-day -day things that God's been doing and not just get bogged down in your day-to-day -day things, but to see a big picture of what he's been doing, how he's been faithful to us, and we remind ourselves of these things. With Thanksgiving, it encourages us to pray more, to believe God's going to be faithful in our time of need. When you read verse two, you hear David's frustration with all these people they're trying to turn his honor into shame. And it's not as maybe as if David's saying this to these individuals directly, although it could be. But what he's doing, he's working out things with the Lord. How long is this going to go on in my life? In terms of Jesus, others than you, he went straight to the source, didn't he? Straight to the Lord. Then he begins praying about others. Then he begins looking at himself. And he finishes by reminding himself of something amazing in verse three, that God has set his faithful ones apart. 
we're God's people. And because we're his children, we can be assured that the Lord hears our prayers when we call. And, and I want to just remind you of this because you're going to experience a season like this. If you're a new Christian and nobody told you this, I'm really sorry. It ought to come in the manual. There are times where your prayers feel ineffectual. They feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down. But I want you to listen to me. And if you don't get anything else out of what I say today, you need to hear this because this is a truth that will change your life. Feelings aren't always true. Did you get it? Feelings aren't always true. Now, some of my high feeling people in the room today, you need to write that down, stick it on the mirror in the morning and remember that because feelings aren't always true. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere in life. Well, that may not be true. I feel like I'm a loser. You're probably not. I feel like it's never gonna get better. That's not true. I feel like it's only gonna get worse. I feel like God's not hearing my prayer. Feelings aren't always true. Sometimes they are. But feelings can't guide us. Truth must guide us. So when I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down, I keep praying. Bolstered by the confidence that God has heard my petitions in the past and answered me, in the past. Next, David reminds us to handle our trouble without falling into trouble ourselves. That's important, isn't it? When you find yourself in trouble, don't get in trouble by messing up further. Look at what he says in verse four. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, be silent. Offer right sacrifices, put your trust in the Lord. Be angry and do not sin. What an incredible statement for our lives that deserves some attention this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm very good at the first part of that verse, and I struggle with the second part of that verse. Be angry, no problem. Do not sin, hmm, harder. Why is it so hard for us? Well, you, you gotta remember that anger's not always wrong, but the Bible does speak about the dangers of anger. Do you remember Proverbs 14, 17? A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices or schemes is hated. Many times in our anger, we sin because we do exactly what Proverbs 14 warned us not to do. We let our temper enrage us and we fly off the handle and we act foolishly. We get in a quick-tempered situation and lose it. But you remember Ephesians 4 tells us, be angry and don't sin. Psalm tells us, be angry and don't sin. Ephesians 4 says, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. So what's David doing here? He understands that it'll be damaging to just keep living with this. And it's a reminder, be angry and don't sin. He reminds himself that he needs to ponder some of these things that are troubling him. And here's where he says to do it. On your bed, in silence. On your bed, in silence. Charles Spurgeon once said, that we need silence in our lives that is time where we cease from talking so that we can allow God to do the talking. It's very hard to find silence today. We live in a city, it's loud all the time. Drove home the other night from the Atlanta airport. We were riding in at three in the morning. I was shocked at how much traffic was on the interstates. What are people doing in the middle of the night? You always hear the hustle and bustle, but worse than that, most of you are carrying around a device in your pocket that allows you to be in constant communication with people all the time. 
And even when you're not calling them, they're texting you. When they're not texting you, you're receiving push notifications that you've signed up for. And so your phone constantly clamors for your attention. uncomfortable, isn't it? Quiet. Close your eyes for a minute. Quiet. When we do this, we're asking the Lord to speak to our lives, just to be quiet before him. And I just want to remind you of something. First Kings chapter 19 tells this great story about one of the prophets named Elijah. And Elijah was in a little bit of trouble himself. Somebody wanted to kill him. And so he runs away from God's call on his life and he begins to pray to God. And you know what he says? He doesn't say, get me out of this trouble. He says, could you just kill me and take me out of here? I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. It's rough. I'm the only person who's left who's followed you. He thinks he has it all figured out. He thinks he knows the end of the story. It's how he felt. He was tired. He was exhausted. So what does he do? He belly aches. He moans. He gets despondent. He's feeling anxious. He's even, I mean, I would say he's, he's depressed. And God leads him and sustains him to the mountain. And God says, I want you to come out because I'm going to pass by. And the most amazing thing happens. Elijah goes out to meet the Lord, and first, a strong wind comes, but God wasn't in the wind. Secondly, it said that an earthquake came where the mountain's literally breaking apart, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it said a fire swept over the mountain, but God wasn't in the fire. And then it said, Elijah heard the still, small voice of God in a whisper. Quiet. David's reminding us to hear the still small voice of the Lord and allow God to minister to our hearts. And so he says, as God does this and you ponder these things, offer right sacrifices. And what he means is do the right things. There are two types of sacrifices you could make uh, at the temple kind of generally. It, it, well, there's a penance kind of a repentance sacrifice that you would go and make. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying making the sacrifice of righteousness, that you're living right before the Lord and you come before the Lord to worship him and everything's already right between you and the Lord and you're making that sacrifice. Well, David's reminding us, even when we're under pressure, do the right thing. Obey the Lord. Keep following the Lord. Now, finally, David gets to the result of his time with the Lord. And I want you to see two things that are really incredible that came out of this. Look back at verse six. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety. When people are looking for good and they're skeptical, David says, Lord, would you light up our face? Would you let your glory radiate off of us so that people look at us and they see the good things that you're doing? And, and what he's saying is, it's a great prayer that we can go before the Lord and pray, God, do some great things in my life so that people see that it's you. So that when they're skeptical about what is God doing, they can see it in my life. And then he says, you have put or given me 
more joy than everybody else has with all the stuff they have. It's interesting because we've talked about joy being a state of mind that's not dependent on our circumstances. It's, It's incredible to see that. That's different than happiness, isn't it? Happiness happens when the ball bounces your way. And I hope that it does from time to time because it's great when you're happy. I hope that you're happy this morning. Bless you if you are. Nothing wrong with being happy. But joy is different, isn't it? Because it's set on something that's external to our circumstances. And David says, God, you alone can put that in my heart. And when you do it, something happens. In the ancient world, there were two times of great celebration. When they had the grape harvest and the grain harvest, Because if you think about it, those two things were really important for life. Why are people drinking wine all the time in the Bible? Have you drunk out of a stream lately? It's not great, right? There's all kinds of things that can pollute that for you, make you sick at your stomach. And and so even in the New Testament, Paul tells one of his mentees as he's mentoring him, he says, listen, you need to take a little bit of wine for your stomach. Indicating he wasn't taking wine, he says, it's gonna be good for you to do this, right? In the ancient world, you, you don't have opportunities. There's, there's not like soda you can go drink and tea you can drink. You have juice, you have water, you have a little bit of wine. So when the grapes come in, it's a celebration. When the grain comes in, that's how we're gonna live this year. We're gonna be able to sustain ourselves off of the bounty that God's given us. And David says, what you've put in my life is even better than that. They have nothing on this. They don't even know. I remind you, David's circumstances weren't going well and he's up against it. So how did he find joy? When he had problems, he went straight to the Lord. He began praying. Even in the midst of the problems, he didn't cave in and in his anger give in to sin. He continued to to walk the way, the path that God had showed him to do it. And God begins to put this joy in his life as he works out these things in silent meditation with the Lord. It's a gift. You can't manufacture it, you can't buy it, can't come into it on your own. David's circumstances would have caused many people to be anxious, wouldn't they? And yet he finds joy He started off anxious, but he moved to joy. Notice how he finishes that prayer. In peace, I lie down and sleep. This is a great psalm for us because it reminds us that God grants us these things. They're gifts of the Lord. God gives us joy. God gives us peace. You can't find it and discover it out on your own. You're not going to attain a higher life or a, a state of being. God gives us these things. It's a gift from God for us. It gives us joy and peace that aren't dependent on everything that's being uh, taking place in our lives or if things are great or bad. We can have joy and peace when they're good. We can have joy and peace when they're challenging, when we're anxious, when we're under it, when it's tough. And I don't know what you might have walked in here this morning troubled by. Maybe you're not. But the day is young. You'll have an opportunity to be troubled before the end of the day. If not, we're just starting the week. You'll have a chance. It's just the way of life, isn't it? People that tell you you can escape these things don't live in reality, do they? So how are you going to deal with it? Well, I hope that what you'll do is stop being anxious and start praying. 
Allow the Lord to take that burden. Allow the Lord to begin to minister to your heart. I hope that what will happen is that you'll find some quiet time in your bed tonight where you put your phone far, far, far away from you. Turn off the TV. And you just sit with the Lord. And allow him to speak and allow him to minister to you. I hope that you'll pray Psalm number four as you go to bed tonight. How would you pray Psalm number four? We read them often, but how would we pray it? This is maybe how I would do it. Dear God, I'm coming to you tonight and I'm asking you to answer me as I call to you. You're the only one, Lord, who can vindicate me. You freed me from affliction in the past. God, you've answered so many prayers in my life in the past. Even this past week, you got us back from Israel. Everybody made it back. The people that were sick on our trip were still able to fly home. It was awesome, Lord, how you answered our prayer and people weren't sick as we traveled. God, thank you for bringing us back. God, thanks for providing for me this week. God, I have a couple things that I wasn't sure how you were gonna work it out and you were just so faithful to be able to do that. Thank you for doing that. God, be gracious and hear my prayer now. How long will my honor be insulted? God, I'm under it. I've got things that are going on that are, that are somewhat difficult. I've got some decisions to make that I don't know what to do with. God, I need your help. Would you please, Lord, lift up my countenance? I know that you've set me apart. I'm your child. Christ died for me. God, thank you for that. God, while I'm stressed about these things, and I'm feeling a little bit anxious. I don't want to be angry and sin. God, help me to walk in the path of righteousness. Help me to live my life in such a way that it honors you and pleases you. God, I want to do the right thing and I'm going to trust in you this week. Even though I don't know the outcome. God, many will ask, who can show us anything good? Well, I'm asking you to let me show people some good things. God, would you help me to be a witness this week? Would you send me into the fields? I know they're white unto harvest. You say that they are. Give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone this week, Lord. Let me be a minister to someone this week who doesn't know you. God, you really have put more joy in my heart than I could have ever asked for. It's more joy than, than people have when they're on vacation or they have all the money in the world, when they have all the power in the world. Lord, they're not as happy as I am in you. They're not as joyful as I am in you because you have set my life in you. And God, as I go to sleep tonight, restore me. Refresh me. You give sleep. It's a gift. Give me peace. Thank you for guarding my heart and my life in peace. And tomorrow when you wake up, pray through Psalm number five. Try it for a week. See what God doesn't do to give you joy. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and a lot of times in our lives, Lord, we're anxious about things that are far outside of our control and some of us in the room are worried about things that are weeks and months and even years away and we've forgotten that Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow because today had enough trouble. God, trouble's a part of life. We're not gonna escape it. But we thank you that we can still be joyful in the midst of it. We thank you that you can provide joy and peace to us, Lord. Give it to us, Lord. It's a gift. We receive it. 
We claim it, it's ours. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.